Good morning. Good morning. And happy Father's Day. So some of you, probably many of you, might say, well, I'm not a father. How many of you feel that you're not a father? How many of you have had or still have a father? We may be the last generation to all raise our hands. Because, as you know, many women are choosing to have babies without having a father in the picture. It's possible now to have anonymous sperm, to create a family. Next week, in fact, we're going to have a baby welcoming ceremony for two twins. For two twins? For two babies that are twins. Who are in that sense. Well, I don't know this for a fact, but I don't think they know the father. So those of you who are fathers, Happy Father's Day. And those of you who are not fathers, Happy Father's Day. And we will always have this feeling of Happy Father's Day, known or unknown. Particularly, several of you have either lost your father this year or have, as Kensei does, a father who's hanging on barely, or as Jika's husband Walter's father is, Dokyo's grandfather, just now moved to rehab after quite a life-threatening stroke. And some of us lost our fathers very early on. So last night I was reading my father's journal, which he kept in, he had two journals, 1940 and 1941. When I was growing up, I couldn't really talk about him because it was too painful for all the people in my family. Nobody wanted to say anything about him, so I knew very little other than the fact that he was universally loved and mourned deeply. He was uh, 20 about 25, I guess, when I was born, and uh, not quite 26 when he was killed. And I was rereading passages in his 1941 yearbook. He had a very hard time economically the years just 
before we enter the war were very difficult, especially for people who were not involved in the escalation uh, build-up to the war. So he and my mother, who was still going to Brooklyn College to get her uh, bachelor's degree when they married, had a small store in Brooklyn. And they were kind of staked to it by my mother's father, who also had a store. And my father, from what I can read, was the last person in the world you'd want to see running a retail shop. He was just not fit at all for it. So almost every passage in the journals opens with, up early to go to the store, so tired I can barely see. Why can't I go to bed early? I'm always exhausted. So I really resonate with this because every night, it's almost midnight by the time I close my eyes. There's always so much to do. I'm at the computer and then I want to keep up with reading. And so I was rereading re these passages thinking, ah, ah, this is genetic. Because <laughs> I'm always up early too. And trying to um, find him in, in these ways and have always been really intrigued to know more about him. So I'm so happy that I got these journals just recently, last, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, before my aunt, his sister, died. So yes, this idea that when you've lost someone, it's really hard to talk about him. And my mother had remarried when I was four, so she really didn't want to go back there. She, my mother has always been the sort of person who goes straight ahead. Straight ahead. No looking back. Which is admirable, but frustrating for a child. And his family, my grandparents and aunt, and his very much younger brother, if I mentioned something asking question, they would just cry. So I didn't, because I didn't want to bring them any more sadness. So Father's Day, I always dedicate to him Leonard Corlin, born Leonard Cohen, but so aware of the growing anti-Semitism that he changed his name when I was born so that I would have a chance from Cohen, Leonard Cohen, <laughs> to Leonard Corlin. And he had a car that didn't work that he named Jerry. And much of his writing in the journal is about the episodes of Jerry's sickness. He writes here, January 10th, 1941. So in Jerry, to city, albeit she's a mite sick car. 
And then he's commenting on the changes that he sees in himself. And he says, I never took the car, avoided all trips for fear something might happen, always expecting the worst, flat tire, breakdown. I worried more than drove, worried more often than drove the car. Today, the car is in worse condition and more reason for me to worry. Yet, I don't worry. I take the car everywhere. In the evening, we went to see Betty Davis do the letter. And never yet have I seen a dramatic mood so well created on the screen. Home late and exhausted, asleep before the head really found its place on the pillow. The store never did well, so he says the next day. Just as I got to the store, found customer waiting for me. Well, after that initial sale, I might just as well have tried to sell dry sand in a deserted desert. And what with a few refunds and so little sales, it just about made today the worst Saturday since the store opened. People would buy things and then bring them back and want their money back. And then the last day of January 1941, he wrote, Thoughts for remaining happy. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to a man. It is just the last. 23 years old. Death is not the worst thing that can happen. It's just the last. Until the next. So last, um, earlier this month, after I spoke to you, the last Teisho, I went to Daibusatsu with uh, Jisho for Genpo Roshi Memorial Day on June 3rd. And that same day we had ordination for to young residents. They had spent 12 days leading up to this ordination doing what's called Niwazume and Tangazume. After, of course, having lived at Dabasatsu, training there as lay students. And Niwazume, uh, some of you may know what that means. Niwazume is when you go to request permission to train at a temple and you sit at the steps. 
you have a, a specific way of sitting with your head down like this, bent over step, and everyone experiences being chased away and returning and not moving and being hit. And so this is a traditional thing of showing your sincerity. And it's quite difficult to remain in that posture, as you can imagine. You can try it, to stay that way for a couple of days as the blood rushes into your head. And you feel quite twisted. And that's generally uncomfortable. And then tangazume or tangario means sitting alone under the watchful eyes of the senior monks at the temple. So they did this. It was the first time that they did such practice before ordination at Dabasatsu. In the past, we've done both things to some degree. Before we moved into the monastery, we did Nuazume and Tangario from the guest house to the new monastery in 1975. Those of us who were residents did so. But as far as I know, this is the first time it was done to become ordained. And I wanted to bring that up because I think one of the interesting things that happens for many, many people is a kind of uh, complacency after sitting for some years. Many times people will ask, I want to deepen my practice. How can I deepen my practice? To ask that suggests what? There's something wrong with it as it is. Suggests there's something wrong with it as it is. Okay, what else does it suggest? To ask, how can I deepen my practice? What's that suggest? You're looking for someone else to tell you what to do, right? You're looking for someone else to say, why don't you pay attention? You know how to deepen your practice. Pay attention. Look what you're doing now. In the old days, we used to do somewhat different translation in the meal verse. And one of the lines ended, how imperfect my virtue is. Do I deserve this offering? Most nowadays, we say them, they sound pretty good. Nobody has to ask that question, and so everybody eats. this offering? How do I deepen my practice? Do I pay attention? Severity of practice is so important and universally I think people 
have a feeling of resistance the minute such a, such a phrase is uttered. How many of you felt that kind of no, no. It's really something, whether you admit so or not. Resistance to making it any worse than it already is. So, you know, inside you may have this little voice that says, isn't it enough? Dot, dot, dot. You can fill in the blanks. What? Tell me, I'd like to hear. Isn't it enough that I'm already sitting cross-legged on a cushion instead of on the chair? Isn't that enough? Who else? Isn't it enough that I show up once a week and sit in abject misery? What else? Up at 6.30 in the morning to be here. <laughs> Isn't it enough that I get up at 6.30 in the morning to be here? These are wonderful statements, okay? It's so, it's so important for you to be honest and not come across as, I'm a good Zen student. This is not helpful. No, no, no. If you come across that way, then of course you have to ask, what can I do to make my practice deeper? Be honest. Just that. Anybody else? Anyway, isn't it enough? You might say, well, I'm ordained. Isn't that enough? No. Just the beginning. You might feel so much is required of me. I have to do such and such, such and such. Isn't it enough? How much more can be asked? So what's the answer to that? Hmm? Everything. Everything. Now we say in Tisarana, Buddham Saranam Gachami, and we really do understand the translation may be to the Buddha, Buddham Saranam, I take refuge. Gachami, I go to. Right? Buddhaham saranam gachami. Dhamman saranam gachami. The Dharma. Saranam, refuge. Gachami, I go. Sangam saranam gachami. Sangha, refuge. Go. And those who have deepened, uh, let us say, deepened their practice as a result of their own clear introspection, know that this really means I give my life to Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. No other way to practice.
when you really understand this, then there will be no further complaints, I assure you. The inner monologue that is complaining about this and that not being to your liking will just vanish. Isn't that wonderful? There is an answer. You know, there really is. Just give your life to Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. No more worries about your not being perfect, as Sosan Zenji put it in Believing in Mind. No more worries. But normally we ask, how much more? Why do I have to give? Why am I being asked to do? This inner resistance, we really believe. We give it credibility. And so all kinds of stories get told, right? Inside. Stories about, well, I have to, I'm the kind of person who, Right? All kinds of identity making, separating, individuality creating stories. When I spoke to the two young men who were ordained, Tenrai and Gi Un, I said something about now your training really begins. Undoubtedly you will be asked to do all sorts of things and you will be challenged and you will be criticized and you will feel this welling up of resentment, this welling up of justification. This is what we mean by training. Not just showing up. To have this just showing up may be really fabulous in the beginning. That in itself, congratulations, you just showed up. Excellent, wonderful, we need you to just show up. Everybody is depending on you for just showing up. Thank you so much. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Just showing up is wonderful, but just showing up with really being here, with really getting it, with no complaints whatsoever. Thank you. I have no complaints whatsoever means you have just shown up fully. How fabulous that is. Far more fabulous than just showing up and not being here. So, to see how the egocentric mind latches onto things and gets entangled in the stories. What can we do about that? Sit. And in the midst of the self-justification, what can we do about it? Just drop it. Just drop it, right? Or, my favorite word, stop. Stop. Just stop. Stop, stop, stop. Just stop. 
this is something we can all use, this word, very effectively. Our inner story, concocting this and that, well, if I hadn't, well, it was because of, don't you get bored? Stop. The minute you see the convoluted, twisting alleyways of your self-obsession, stop. It doesn't need your going down the twisting, convoluted alleyways and figuring it out. What's to figure? I had four years in Brooklyn. What's to figure? There's nothing to figure out. Just stop. Right here, stop. And what happens when you stop right here? Right, so your energy isn't sucked away by all this stuff that you're pursuing, and you see what has to be done, what's in front of you, or what has no doing, right? No doing, no one to do. This is Rinzai's famous bujie. No doing, no one doing, nothing doing. Therefore, it gets done. So whatever the story, whatever the justification, whatever the resentment, whatever the resistance, whatever the inner monologue is, just stop. And what our training is in Zen is, what do we mean by training? It means being able to stop on a dime, you know, on a dime means what? Immediately. Immediately. So when you say you stop on a dime, that's a small coin, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean stop down the road. It means stop right here. Stop on a dime. And then what? New story? If you really train yourself to stop, then no new story. So we all know very well the first noble truth, right? Suffering. There is suffering, definitely. I'm familiar with suffering. And we've all, because of sitting, come to see something about the second noble truth, right? which we might put how? I've been looking into it, right? I've been looking into it. And I've been seeing that at least some tiny, maybe tiny, tiny, tiny drop I'm contributing (laughs) to my own suffering. Of course, they're all wrong, but maybe my connection with them may have something to do with my suffering. So this, this grows, this noticing, this noticing of the enslavement to circumstances, right? Enslavement to circumstances. Master Rinzai is always 
reminding us about that. Just make yourself master of every situation and wherever you stand is the true place. Before that, in that same chapter, the master addressed the assembly saying, followers of the way, as to Buddha Dharma, no effort is necessary. You have only to be ordinary with nothing to do, defecating, urinating, putting on clothes, eating food, and lying down when tired. Fools laugh at me, but the wise man understands. Just make yourself master of every situation, and wherever you stand is the true place. No matter what circumstances come, they cannot dislodge you. Even though you bear the remaining influences of past delusions or the karma from the five highest crimes, these of themselves become the ocean of emancipation. All your evil karma itself becomes, is, the ocean of emancipation. And our wonderful Dharma study this last time was about that, right? Our karma itself. It's not that when we finally purify our karma, when we finally stop, really stop perpetuating our story, struggle, suffering, then finally. No, right here in the midst of it. That's what stop means. It doesn't mean, okay, let's figure it all out and then we'll get to a point, a nice overlook, right? A nice scenic overlook where we can then stop and enter into nirvana. This is the third noble truth. Another way of understanding cessation is to say nirvana. So we always think, okay, well, because I'm so caught up in my own struggles, I somehow I can't get to that point of cessation. But we've also read and heard, what is nirvana? Samsara. Samsara itself. Our karma itself is it. That's what stop means right here. Not later. If we learn how to do this, this is what is meant by training. This is what is meant by severe practice. To really do this. Not just to think, oh, that's something that someone else did named Shakyamuni Buddha. Or Rinzai. Or Hakuin. Or some other person that we may know. No, right here. We enter nirvana when we stop before our excuses have turned into 
the monologue that we think we are. This is a very interesting thing. We think we are this monologue of self-justification. We think that's who I am. When we stop the cycle before it starts. So this is what training is. Closer and closer and closer to this stopping on the dime. Seeing it for what it is more quickly. In the beginning, of course, it's hard to do. But embrace this hard to do. As I said, this goes against the grain, right? Everyone, when I first started, said, oh, no, severe. In some little realm of your, not, a, not everyone wanted to admit it, but at least we had one honest guy. No, no, I don't want that. But if you can see it, see your resistance and how it entangles you, why would you want to pursue that? It is the source of your suffering. So embracing severe practice means vowing to stop on a dime. This is it. When we stop this cycle before it starts, then what? Just this dharma, incomparably profound, minutely subtle, this hardly met with, this breath, now breathing us, this nothing doing what has to be done. I wanted to end with all of you joining me in reading a poem by Dayo Kokushi. Some of you know it pretty well. So if you know it, you can just do it from memory. Otherwise, Get your sutra books, and it's on page 151. On Zen. There is a reality even prior to heaven and earth. Indeed, it has no form, much less a name. Eyes fail to see it. It has no voice for ears to detect. To call it mind or Buddha violates its nature, for it then becomes like a visionary flower in the air. It is not mind nor Buddha, absolutely quiet and yet illuminating in a mysterious way. It allows itself to be perceived only by the clear-eyed. It is dharma truly beyond form and sound. It is Tao having nothing to do with words. Wishing to entice the blind, the Buddha has playfully let words escape his golden mouth. Earth, ever since filled with entangling briars. Oh, my good, worthy friends gathered here, if you desire to listen to the thunderous voice of the Dharma, 
exhaust your words, empty your thoughts, for then you may come to recognize this one essence. Exhaust your words, empty your thoughts. Then, right here, you recognize this. <laughs>